0: And jump into the sermon uh, last week uh, last week, Pastor Albert preached on the Good Shepherd, and he talked about how you know we live in a world where there's many voices, and that 's true we live in a world where there's many voices every single day uh, you will be bombarded by different voices those voices can be in the form of a video, it can be in the form of an article, it can be in in the form of a person talking to you, something you watch, something you read. Uh, And some of those voices are good, some are bad, some are in between. And every voice is vying for your attention. Some voices are trying to sell you a narrative, trying to convince you, trying to win you over emotionally, trying to convince you of good causes and bad causes. And sometimes when there's too many voices in this world, because, because of social media, everybody with a smartphone has a platform to share their voice. As a result, we live in a world of anxiety. We live in a world of fear. We live in a world of everyone sharing their own opinion. And that's when as Christians, we need to be reminded that the most important voice that we need to listen for is the voice of our Good Shepherd. And that's the voice of Jesus Christ. And I know this was shared last week, but that voice has been documented for us In 66 books, and we have this in a closed canon as our Holy Bible, the Scriptures show us objectively the voice of God. But then when it comes to application... That's when the word of God speaks objective truth, but how it applies to each and every one of us is a little different. And that's where we have the Holy Spirit. We don't just have 66 books, words on a page, but we, each of us as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that then takes his inspired word and instructs us and so part of understanding what it means that jesus is our good shepherd is how he shepherds us how he shepherds us is he points us to his word and he makes it very clear in john chapter 10 that those who are his sheep will hear his voice and they will recognize his word not just corporately not, will they, not only will they recognize that he's the Messiah, but personally, he calls his sheep by name. So, he, so his sheep will recognize what he wants to speak to you and me specifically, individually. And those who can't hear his voice are not his sheep yet. Some will never be his sheep. Those who reject his voice and, and don't receive him, they are not part of his flock. And so that brings us in to the, today's passage. Today is uh, part two of the Good Shepherd narrative and passage. And so I've entitled our time together, Securing His Flock While Surrounded by Wolves. Securing His Flock While Surrounded by Wolves. So if you have God's Word, will you please meet me in John chapter 10? John chapter 10 verses 22 to 42. John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, rather than having some major points like roman numerals instead you'll see three themes and we're going to go consecutively through the passage but you'll see three, de- three themes that make a pattern and what you see is the enemies of god the son of god and the people of god so be really simple three things three patterns that you see that arise is that john shows us these are the enemies of god this is the son of god and these are the people of god And so we're going to jump right in, starting in verses 22 to 24. You see in John 10, 22 to 24, you see the enemies of God. So let let me just dive in and read the verse to us, read the passage to us. These first three verses. At the time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. So they're asking him a question, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And you already know that the people gathered around him, these aren't his disciples, specifically. His disciples might have been in earshot of this, but these are Jews, a lot of them are Pharisees, and they are not really interested in his answer because he's already shown his sheep that he is the Messiah through his words and through his works. So they're asking him, tell us plainly, because they want to nail him of blasphemy. But a little bit of the context is that the feast of dedication in verse 22, uh, this is not actually an Old Testament celebration, but this is a Jewish traditional celebration. We refer to this as Hanukkah. And so Hanukkah does take place in wintertime. This is Hanukkah. And Hanukkah celebrates when, when the, the Jews had victory, when Israel had victory over the evil Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, he was an evil ruler that suppressed the Jews, and he ransacked their temple and practiced a lot of sacrilegious practices did a lot of sacrilegious acts in the Jewish temple. So around 164 BC, during that, around that time, the Jews had victory and they they cleansed the temple and they rededicated the temple. And so Hanukkah celebrates that time. And so it was around this time when Jesus was walking in the colonnade of Solomon, which was a large, porch area. This is not your southern porch that you see in a country music video, but this is really where the early church gathered in Solomon's porch. And so when the early church in Jerusalem gathered in the book of Acts, there was this place called Solomon's porch. It was like a large area where people would gather for worship or gathering, and that's where they met. Okay, so Jesus was walking in the temple and, and, and he was just walking around, and so the Jews gathered around him, and that's where they questioned him. But these are the enemies of God, and we know this because very quickly, very quickly, when it, later when you jump down uh, to verse 31, you'll see that these are the same Jews. It doesn't say these are different Jews, that they pick up stones again to stone him. And when this says stone him, it's not talking about in a California way. When people say, I'm going to get stoned, they're talking about something that Christians don't really support. That's a California thing. Uh, But this is talking about picking up rocks and to kill him. So just in case you missed that, okay? Um, But if you look at the second theme you see is the first we saw, these are the enemies of God. They're surrounding the good shepherd. So these are the wolves, the Pharisees. They, They want to kill Jesus, well, secondly, we see in verses 25 to 26 that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of God. He wants you as the reader to be very clear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so for us, it's the good shepherd is God's Son. And so verses 25 and 26, it says this, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. I told you. You asked me if I'm the Messiah. I've told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do, now notice the shepherd's power. The shepherd's power is not in himself. Jesus doesn't say, I am doing my own works, although he is. He's not saying, I am acting in my own agenda or ability. He, he always leans back on his true source of power and his true source of authority, which is his father. So he says it. He says, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. So, so I am the son of God. You, you see, that's where the theme, the son of God, because he's like, I am the son. My God, Yahweh, is my father. And then in verse 26, but you don't believe me because you're not among my sheep. So here you get some theology that God the Father has sent His Son down to the earth to gather, save, and secure Jesus' sheep. So it's very clear that those who see that Jesus is the Son of God are part of His flock, and those who reject, they are not yet. You see the openness to the gospel? They are not yet part of His flock. Some of them will never be part of His flock. They will reject Christ to the end and murder Christ and never repent, right? Now, we get some teaching here, is that we don't know who's going to come to Christ. But God knows exactly who's going to come to Christ. Jesus, with this language, you are not among my sheep. But wait, God, I thought it's all about evangelism. Yes, it it is. Jesus says, come to me, all who want to come. But it's very clear here, only the sheep will come. Some of the sheep are not yet saved but they will come. They will hear the voice of the shepherd and they will come. Some will never come, but we don't know, but God knows. So Jesus comes down to the earth and he already knows. His Father knows. Every single sheep that he's going to lay his life down for, he knows. That his death is not going to be a failed plan. Jesus does not go to the cross and say, I lay my, my life down for the world and I don't know if the world's gonna believe in me or not. Jesus says, I lay my life down for my sheep, that they're gonna believe. It's gonna be effective. My atonement's gonna be definite. It's gonna apply to those who I came to die for. So Jesus is very certain. Now, what that does for you and me is it gives us security, it doesn't give us physical security. Because physically, as we know, anything can happen in this world. But it gives us spiritual security because Jesus' death not only does it save us from sin, but it gives us eternal salvation. In his sheep. I want you to see how strong the language is. So you see the enemies of God, they want to kill the good shepherd. You see the Son of God is the good shepherd. And third, you see the people of God are the people of the good shepherd. The people of God are God's flock. So you see this in verses 27 to 30 very clearly. Notice what it says once again. Jesus is repetitive. He says, My sheep, notice, he doesn't say the world, he says, My sheep, hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Somebody needs some shepherding over there. I, I hear that. I'm, I'm like, is that my kid? <laughs> you could hear someone crying over there. Um, my sheep, hear my voice. I know them. Jesus knows the unsaved sheep that he's going to save and the people who are already saved. He's like, I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus speaks, and his sheep gather to him. He goes, and he gathers his sheep. I give them, who does he give eternal life to? His sheep. And they will never perish. Wait a minute, what do you mean? No one will snatch them out of my hand. But, but what if I sin my way out of your hands, Jesus? What if I have anxiety and doubt? What if I'm saved, but I begin to question my salvation? What if I'm saved, but my sin struggle seems to show me that I'm, 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 I'm not really saved? What if, what if people try to convince me, if you're truly saved, you are secure. It's not you that keeps yourself saved. Even your sin... Eventually, if you're truly his sheep, he will sanctify you. Because your salvation and your spiritual security lands and banks on the finished work of Christ when he laid down his life on the cross for you. When he, fin- when he says it is finished, it is done. Nobody can take you out of his hands, not even yourself. And that's what he says. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So you see double insurance. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. And if you're not sure about that, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see this exchange in the Trinity it's beautiful and when you get to john 17 we'll lay it out in even more detail is god the father makes a plan before the foundation of the world and says these are all the people that we don't know who they are right but these are all the people they're going to be saved these are all the people they're going to be saved through all of human history and and god the father says jesus this is who you're going to this is your sheep the pharisees who want to kill you that's not your sheep these are your sheep here's your sheep And Jesus says, okay, my Father has given them to me. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. They know me. I know each of them by name. When I go to the cross, I'm dying for them. All of them will be saved. Not one will be lost. The son of perdition, Judas, was not sheep, right? So everybody that that the Father gives to the Son, he takes to the cross, and he dies for them, and he secures them. That's the language. Nobody can take them out of my hand. Nobody can take them out of my, my Father's hand. Why? My Father's hand. Why? Because I and, and the, I and the Father are one. So there again you see the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's God. And so of course He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. But the religious leaders will never believe this. So, so when you see this theme of thieves and robbers trying to steal the sheep... Wolves scattering the sheep. The good shepherd will secure you. He will protect you. The thieves and robbers come, and they want people to follow them. They wanted all Every thief, thief or robber comes, and they steal the sheep for a different agenda, a different purpose. The religious leaders in this context, they wanted the people to follow them. And they wanted the people to uphold their corrupt system. And that's why they were jealous of Jesus, because people started to follow Jesus instead. That's why they didn't like John the Baptist. Anybody that challenged the authority of the religious leaders and their corruption. Then the good shepherd says, what are you guys doing to my sheep? You guys are like thieves and robbers. You want to steal the sheep for your own purposes, for money or for corruption or for your own fame. Others are wolves, false teachers come in and want to deceive the sheep, again, for their own purposes. And, and Jesus comes in with this imagery, I am the shepherd. I come and I stand. I'm surrounded by these wolves, but I come, I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep to save them. And that's how, and that's why they are not going to be deceived. Even this idea of the shepherd laying down his life, it speaks of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That Jesus Christ dies for his sheep by what? By becoming the Lamb of God to take our place on the cross. So that when we get to heaven we say worthy is the Lamb. He is our Lamb and He is our shepherd. And 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 that's just beautiful imagery that John weaves in. So I want to go back to a little application now before we move forward uh, with the text is that I mentioned how how there's many voices. And again, you see this very clearly that if you're a sheep of Christ, you hear the voice of your shepherd. There's so many voices coming in. And again, that creates anxiety. An anxious world. A world that is consistently uh, anxious. I'm anxious. So many voices. On my desk right now at home, I have two books uh, that I read. uh, as devotionals. One is this... Little green book. It's like uh, what small book on anxiety or something by Ed Welch. And <laughs> another book is uh, Steve, Steve Chin knows about because this was his biblical counseling uh, supervisor. Paul Talgis, is that how you say his name? Uh, he has one on anxiety, the 31 day devotional. I'm reading those two books. I, I believe in biblical counseling. I'm, I'm reading it for myself. It's great. It's, it's helpful, right? Uh, and so everybody needs to. Listen to what the word of God tells us. But here's one thing I saw and I read this week from Ed Welch and I'm going to paraphrase it for our purposes. He writes about something where he says sometimes we think that Christian maturity is, not, it, it is marked by an absence of fear and anxiety. So just think of Jesus. He's, he's, he's a shepherd. He's trying to gather his sheep. He's surrounded by wolves and literally these wolves want to kill him. And you see, Jesus, he doesn't seem like he's over-anxious. He's like this non-anxious presence while his sheep are scattered, and he's sitting there saying, I'm going to die for my sheep. And that's not the passage that Welch goes to, but I see the correlation that he's saying that sometimes in Christian circles, we think that the more you grow in Christ, that somehow your life will be filled with no anxiety and no fear, meaning If I don't have fear anymore, if I'm not anxious anymore, if I worry less, then I'm a more mature Christian. That's not entirely true. Because even Jesus Christ was surrounded by anxiety and worry and fear, and his life was being threatened. And what Ed Welch says, and again, I'm not quoting him, I'm just paraphrasing, is that the key to spiritual maturity is not the absence of worry and anxiety and fear in your life. It's how quickly you turn to Jesus. That's how you know someone has matured. Is that in the early days of your Christianity, when you are afraid or fearful or anxious, you start running it through your mind. And it's not until you go to a counselor or talk to a pastor or I don't know, something happens, or you get in an argument with someone, your wife or your your husband, and you realize, oh man, I I need to get this together. Then you're like, oh man, maybe I should pray. But the more mature you are, the quicker You start recognizing, ah, these aren't healthy voices. I'm turning to Christ now. And when you look at the Psalms, the Psalms are replete with David, a shepherd, expressing his anxiety and his emotions to God immediately. Raw emotions to God. And, and so we kind of learn something, that there's, there are a lot of voices. And sometimes those voices drown out the most important voice that you and I need to hear, is when all the voices come, and when you're, when you're pressed down with anxiety and worry, the good shepherd is calling you, but you're not going to hear him, unless you go into the wilderness where shepherds dwell. Where the, shepherd ga- where the shepherds gather their sheep, Where do shepherds do shepherding in the wilderness where it's quiet? There's dangers, but you can see the wolf coming. You can see the wolf coming. You can see the sheep wandering. And in the same way, sometimes I think we need to come into the quiet of our devotion time and pay attention to God, as Pastor Albert constantly tells us. We need to be praying. We need to be opening the Word of God and saying, okay, there's a lot of voices, but shepherd, Jesus, what do you want to say to me from this word? And we need to listen to him. And that's how we avoid deception. That's how we avoid giving in to the various voices that have different motives. These voices come in like thieves and robbers wanting to take us as Jesus' sheep in every other direction. And Jesus comes and says, listen to my voice, my sheep, hear my voice. Not only does he save you, he shepherds you. Now, we're going to go back again. You see in verses 31 to 33, remember the themes, the enemies of God, the Son of God, the people of God. Once again, you see the enemies of God. So now you go verse 31 to 33. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Very clear. This is not a non-anxious moment, Jesus. They want to kill you. And Jesus stands there and he answers them, "I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me?" And the Jews answered him, "It is not good for it is it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you. We're, we know you're healing the sick. We know you're doing good things. But we want to kill you. But for blasphemy, because you claim to be God." Because you, being a man, make yourself God. But isn't that the gospel? That God, the holy, infinite, sinless God, took the form of a man to come to save human beings. So it's ironic. That they're, they want to accuse him of blasphemy, but he is God. And they're never going to listen. And now you look in verses 34 to 36, he knows that the Jewish leaders have hardened their hearts again, against him. And so the good shepherd, get this, is not trying to convince wolves to follow him. The good shepherd is not trying to convince the wolves to come into his flock. He's trying to convince his flock And so this leads us once again, if we see the enemies of God, the Son of God, the people of God. Once again, you see the Son of God. Notice how he answers. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, your gods, in quotes. Meaning, that's quoted in the Old Testament. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken... Do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I'm the Son of God? So first, verse 34, Jesus refers to the law. And in this context, I know it's confusing sometimes, but in this context, he's not referring to the first five books of the Bible. He's not referring specifically to the books of Moses. But since he's Jesus, I guess he could do whatever he wants, right? It, you know, he, he defines the Bible. He is the Word of God. Uh, you and I, I think we would be more careful. So when you share the Bible with people, especially when you talk to new Christians or non-Christians, the, the first five books of the Bible, that's the Old Testament law. When, if you talk about Jeremiah or something like that or Isaiah, that's the prophets. Okay, that's the prophets. But Jesus is referring to the entire Old Testament, and that's what he's doing. Uh, and he's referring specifically to Psalm 82, verse 6, which we would call Old Testament poetry. But Jesus says that's part of, the, part of the law. So Psalm 82, 6, do I have a slide? I do. Okay, that's huge. What happened to my quotation mark? Anyway, I use an Apple computer. Uh, I think they use a PC system up there. Um, anyway, so... Um, but, I mean, we, we're, our church is moving away from, like, PC, Mac, and all that. So, so this is the Hope Center, Grace Center, uh, Pray Center still. But maybe I should change my operating system. Anyway, don't, don't come and, you know, PC people, don't come and talk to me <laughs> about that. But um, it says, I said, you are God's son of the most high, all of you. Right? But notice that it's lowercase G gods. And so what's happening, there's a context here. Is actually the context is a rebuke. Is that Israel's judges, these are their leaders, they're corrupt. And so God, in kind of an ironic way, says to them, You are gods, meaning you exercise the judgment of God. You represent God, sons of the most high, all of you. And so Jesus is saying this, ironically, saying to the Pharisees, hey, you guys affirmed the Psalms, right? Yes. That's your scriptures, right? Yes. That's authoritative, right? Yes. Well, how come it's okay that your own Bible refers to other human beings as sons of God? But I can't be the son of God. I am the son of God. So he's not trying to convince it. Convince them, he's using in what philosophy we call an argument from lesser to greater. He's saying if you're okay with your fallen leaders being sons of God, then I am God. Why can't I be called the son of God and you call me call me blasphemous? He's not trying to convince him, convince them, he's trying to make a point. And then he says, unless the scriptures are broken. And the scriptures cannot be broken. And that's a defense for the absolute truth and validity and inerrancy and infallibility of scripture. Just that the scriptures are true. Unless the scriptures are abolished. Unless the scriptures aren't true. Then you can accuse me of blasphemy. And notice that they have no response. The religious leaders have no response. Now notice, once again, the theme of the Son of God in verses 37 and 39. If I'm not doing the works of what? He goes back to who is authoritative. My Father. That's why it's a theme. My Father. He's the Son of God. I'm not doing the works of my Father then do not believe me. But if I do do them, meaning the works of the Father, even though you don't believe me, at least believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And of course, that is blasphemous to them because he's basically saying he's equal to Yahweh. He's equal to God. He is God. Understand that the Father is in me. The Father's authority, the Father's presence, the Father's identity, the Father's deity. I am in the Father. Now, don't get confused. This is not modalism. I have to say this. It's not the Father morphing into the Son, and the Son morphing into the Father, and the, and the Father morphing into the Spirit, and the Spirit morphing into the Son. No, no, no. It's one God, three separate persons. You want to know more, come to Sunday school eventually. Not the time to talk about this, okay? But it's one God, three separate persons. But, it, but he's talking about the authority of the Father, the plans of the Father. The, the aspect of deity is attributed to him. And so verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him and he escaped from their hands. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jesus is not anxious. He's there. They want to kill him. They pick up a stone. He's like, all right, you're going to crucify me. It's not time for you to stone me yet. It's not time yet. There's going to be a time where I'm going to give myself over to you. It's not time yet. So he conveniently just, how does he always get away? How does he get away? I don't know. And, and so I'm like, so when I watched one of my favorite shows, they were show, you know, 24, Jack Bauer. I mean, Jack Bauer read the Gospels. Jack Bauer, how he always gets away or he always escapes, you know, somehow or he gets himself out of a bind. I'm like, that, Jack Bauer stole from Jesus Christ. But Jesus always gets away. But why does he get away? Because it's not, everything's on his sovereign timeline. It's not time for Jesus to die yet. Also, I don't watch TV, so you know how old I am. That's when I used to watch TV. Anyway, so Jesus knows his sheep are scattered. The religious leaders have scattered the sheep, and the sheep aren't gathered. So Jesus leaves. And where does Jesus go? He leaves Jerusalem, he leaves the religious center, he leaves the center of Jewish power, and he goes where? He goes to his sheep. He goes to the people of God. So once again, you see the enemies of God surround the Son of God. They want to kill the Son of God. But the Son of God is not trying trying to win the wolves. He goes to the people of God. And where are the people of God? So he went away across the Jordan, right? Verse 40. He's not crossing the Jordan to enter into the city of David. He's going away from Jerusalem. He's done with Jerusalem. Judgment upon Jerusalem and Israel. The next time he comes into Jerusalem, guess when that is? Triumphal entry to go die on the cross. That's it. He's done with the temple system. He's finished with Israel. He's done at this point, right? And he goes to his people. And he goes out like the Great Commission to where the people are at. And he goes and he says he went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. And this John is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was executed and killed by the Jewish, Jewish leaders, right? John had been baptizing at first, or or the Jewish fake royalty, I should say, instead, um, at first. And there he remained. He dwelled. So Jesus left Jerusalem, and he stayed out there, out where shepherds go. And verse 41, many came to him. So my sheep hear my voice. They come to the shepherd. They hear him. They, They come. And they said... John the Baptist did no sign, meaning John the Baptist didn't do a lot of mir- didn't do miracles. But everything that John said about this man was true. So John the Baptist did his job. He pointed people to Jesus, prepared people to Jesus. He was preparing the sheep for their shepherd. That's what we need to do. We point people back to the shepherd. We aren't the good shepherd. We point people back to the shepherd like John the Baptist as a messenger. And we are Baptists, and we point people to Jesus, and then Jesus goes, and then they come and say, okay, this is who J- John the Baptist pointed us towards. And it says many believed him there. And most commentators uh, will say, and there's some debate, that, that this is true belief here, that these are genuine believers. These are people whose hearts had been prepared by the ministry of John the Baptist, and now the shepherd comes, and he saves his sheep. You know, so you see these themes very clearly. You see the enemies of God. You see the Son of God. You see the people of God. Beloved, I asked you this morning, are you sheep? I pray that there's no wolves in here. (laughs) But are you sheep? Or are you not yet sheep? To put it positively, are you sheep? And if you're His sheep, do you hear His voice? The big idea is the enemies of God, and I put this in past tense. Because by the time John's gospel got to his readers, Jesus had already risen from the dead. The enemies of God crucified the Son of God. In reality, the Son of God died to save the people of God. That's what John 10 is about. The enemies of God, eventually they would, they crucified the Son of God. But in reality, the Son of God laid his life down for his sheep. The Son of God died to save the people of God. One more time, the enemies of God crucified the Son of God, but in reality, the Son of God died to save the people of God. I'm gonna ask you once again. Maybe you're sitting here in here this morning and you're hearing the voice of the shepherd calling you. And I want to ask once again, have you just been part of church? Have you just been part of religion and tradition? Has Christianity just been something that maybe your spouse has brought you into? Or maybe your parents have proclaimed to you? Are you truly part of his flock? Maybe some of you this morning, you've been wandering and searching. And you feel like you've been in the wilderness. And for the very first time, you hear the voice of the shepherd calling you. Do not walk out of here without responding to the shepherd. We want to point you to Christ. Okay, so please... Please, I beg of you, this this world you know already. I don't want to lie to you. This church, when you come in here, we're going to try to make it the safest place humanly possible. But this world's not a safe place, and you know that. The only place of safety and security is under the blood of the Lamb, the Good Shepherd. And so I want to say again, I want to press again. This morning, is there anybody in here who wants to receive Jesus Christ? I will say this. Some of you are like... Hanley, don't you know we're all saved? That's not true. (laughs) That's not true. There can be someone in here today who still needs to respond to the loving call of the shepherd, that the shepherd has allowed you to be in the perimeter of the flock, even come in to the flock but you have not yet come under his care and received him. If that is you, the shepherd is calling you, don't wait because anything can happen when you exit these four, four walls. Respond to the shepherd now. Please respond to the good shepherd. Pray for your parents to respond to the good shepherd. Anything can happen anywhere. Please pray that you would, uh, we pray that you would respond. You've been searching too long. The day is now to respond definitively to Christ as your shepherd. Now, for the rest of us who profess Christ, including me, including me. We need to check our hearts every single day. Are we truly part of Jesus' flock? Do we follow his voice laid out in Scripture We can't take for granted, including us, including me as a pastor, that just because I work in a church and serve in a church, or just because we are in church, that we are in Christ. How do we know that we are Christ? In Christ, we hear his voice and we follow him. We must make sure, we must make sure that we hear the voice of God. And so that is why it is so critical that we study our Bibles. I know we are in a time where Bibles are not in vogue. I think, I think most of us have our Bibles somehow on the phone. Unless you're um, technologically like challenged like me, it takes me forever to open the app. to <laughs> so forget it. Um, easier for me to lug this thing around under my arm or a smaller version of it. But I trust that you guys are technologically engage. But Pastor Albert has said this before, and I've, I've said before, but it's crazy how sometimes the place where we put the Holy Word of God is also the place where uh, all of our distractions are. And so there's like a million voices literally coming through here, but yet the Word of God is on here too. And the Word of God, unless the Holy Spirit is moving, will never be as entertaining to your heart Versus all the things that are calling out to your flesh. Um, And so one of the things we need to do is to find some way to find our place in the quiet of some type of devotional retreat moment. You need to once again lock yourself away somewhere where you say, good shepherd, this is your word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... Take me to the green pastures of your word, Father. Take me now. Take me to those still waters. Take me to yourself. Okay, my Bible reading plan says I'm reading this today, or my devotional book refers to this verse. Lord, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? I know you've heard this before, but we've got to do it. If we don't do it, we're going to be overcome. We're, going to be, we're not going to hear the voice of our shepherd because there's too much going on. And and lastly, I want to talk to anybody in here who is uncertain about whether or not you are saved. If you have trusted your life to Jesus' death and resurrection and his person and his work, and you still struggle with sin, and so you're saying, you know what, the reason why I doubt my salvation is because I constantly struggle with sin. Repent and turn the corner. You cannot save yourself from your own sin struggle. Jesus saves you. So repent and turn to him and know that if you want him, he wants you. And so you have to get past the fence. Okay? You, you got to get past the fence. You can't... Can I use this, Ray? This is your fence. I'm going to move the cable to the middle. Dear God, please forgive me for my sin. Okay, I'm saved. Oh man, I sinned again. I'm not saved. I'm gonna go to retreat. Oh, spiritual high. Hallelujah. I'm saved. Oh, I'm not. Oh I'm saved. Oh, I'm not. God, you know, I don't know. I don't feel so well today. I'm here. Oh, I'm not sure I'm here. Your God is the fence. The shepherd's over there on the drums. You know, you're you're this is what you're worshiping. This is legalism. This is the law. Right? This doesn't save you, so, so, so you're never going to grow in Christ because you're constantly worried about, am I saved or am I not? Am I saved or am I not? But Jesus has said, nobody can snatch you, not away from the fence. Not away from the law. Nobody can snatch you away from His hands. No one can snatch you away from the Father's hands. Not even your own sin. Not even your own struggle. So if you're doubting your salvation, I think it's because your source of security is in the wrong place. It's in the sinner's prayer. It's in the fence. It's in your performance. It's in whether or not you sin or not. And that doesn't save you from your very sin. The only person that saves you is Jesus. So you need to go to Him. And then you'll realize, oh man, it was never about me to begin with. It was always about me being in the hands of Christ. And once you're in the hands of Christ, then, yes, there's responsibility where you need to begin to battle sin. But you can't battle sin when you're away from your shepherd. You can't fight off the wolf. You're sheep. So stop questioning whether you're in the fold or out of the fold and go to the shepherd because unless you're in him, you're out of the fold. And so hopefully that makes sense to you. Your security is Christ. So that's why I preach hard, receive Christ. Some of you think you're saved, you're not. And you're not because your salvation is your works. Your salvation is that you said the sinner's prayer or that you go to church. Stop it. Go to Christ. Let him secure you. He's the only person who will save you and will convince you that you are his sheep. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would save anyone in here who does not know you as your Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, for those of us who are saved, that you would hold us fast to yourself. Lord, when we are weak, we pray that you would hold us fast to yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would be our shepherd. Lord, we pray for people who question their salvation and moments like that, that we would not find our security in our performance or the fence of the sheepfold. But instead, Lord, that we would be, we would run into the hands of the shepherd and recognize that you've been holding on to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would uplift those who are trying to save themselves and comfort them in ways that only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.